0: The Millennial Pagan Podcast. I'm your host, Autumn Wolf, and
1: Jarrah Stone. And back in studio with us, uh, vir- virtual studio, I should say, we have Royce back. Hi, Hi, Royce. Hi, guys. How have you been since we last spoke?
2: Uh, I've been really good, actually. I feel like I'm finally adjusting to this craziness where I definitely did not feel adjusted before
1: yeah it's definitely uh it's it's different it's a lot different from the from our what we perceive as normal
0: right right (laughs) yeah well royce was on our first actual webcast where me and jara were in the same room together and now we're not so this is even more interesting and now i get to see your beautiful face while we talk (laughs) (laughs) yay So We're actually going to have a pretty interesting two-part or 2 chopped episode where we're going to talk about a movie that all three of us watched because Royce recommended it, and it's so amazing. And then we're going to talk about kind of a more... Um, deeper conversation about um, how to be a good ally for our friends of color in the pagan community and outside of the pagan community. But first we're going to dive into this really fun movie um, that I thought was really compelling and really well done. Obviously Royce loved it because she told us to watch it. I got a message from Jared last night going this movie was amazing! (laughs) Oh!
1: Oh, Okay! (laughs) It's by far one of the best Like one, one of the best thought-provoking movies that I'd seen in a long time. So I, I just have to say that just right off the bat. I'm so happy did you, you guys watch
2: enjoyed it. it. <laughs>
0: yes, definitely did. Did you watch it with Sunshine?
1: Yes, like she actually got drawn into it. Like I was just, just I just had it on and she was doing some stuff in the kitchen and she like literally dropped everything and came over, sat on the couch with me and just, we we just watched the whole thing together. And she's like, I did not expect to sit here and watch it.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I knew if you guys watched it together that she would love it before I even watched it. Mm -hmm. So that that's kind of funny.
1: (laughs) Oh yeah. So I I guess we we should start with the name of the movie so everybody knows. Oh yeah,
2: Fast Color.
1: fast color uh it was on uh on hulu is where i watched it um i did hear like there there was some people saying that it was on a couple of different programs but if you have hulu definitely pick it up definitely watch it it was like i said a, it, it's a good thought-provoking movie just don't go into it with specific notions about what you're gonna see
0: Yeah, I actually, so I read a little, a couple of um, critic reviews on it before I watched it. It is a 2018 movie. Um, Almost every review I've read said it's a superhero movie. I call BS. (laughs) Um, It was directed by a woman called, or named Julia Hart. And it was produced by a pretty cool group. Anyway, that's about as much of that kind of info I want (laughs) to go into, but um, the plot was really interesting. It starts out with this one um, black American woman who is in a a post-apocalyptic American situation where it's not raining anymore, and the water that we have is the water that we have, so there's a whole kind of water crisis going on, and a lot of the... um, area that we're seeing is very desert like and living in the desert and watching it in summer kind of really, you could fit into that <laughs> idea of you need water everywhere you go, but there's not enough of it.
1: Mm. I mean, yeah, definitely considering the fact like they were selling it by either the half gallon or full gallon or like, like the, the way that they had it kind of spaced out and just kind of seeing that, yeah, there hasn't been any rain for eight years at this point really kind of ties into what happens in the in the main storyline
0: yeah i think one of the um things that really two scenes individually really struck me about thinking about how much we just use water and how we don't even think about we're going to turn the tap on and it's going to run is that when uh the main character goes into a hotel room and they at the um person at the front desk asks her, do you want full water or half? And half, which is a, I guess two gallons is $26. And that's all Mm -hmm. the water she has for that whole night stay. And she has to clean wounds. She has to wash herself up and then drink. And that's all she has for that whole night to do all of that. And then there's another scene where a little girl is talking to her grandmother and she asks her for enough water to go to the bathroom for the day. And then she also says, can I have enough to brush my teeth? And it like those kind of things that you don't even think that you're going to have to argue with your kid that night to get them to actually brush their teeth. And here's a kid asking, can I have enough water to brush my teeth? It's not a question that here in America we ever have to really ask.
2: Right. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's a good a reference of privilege, right? Because like the idea of privilege is it's something that you take for granted. And that's why it's a privilege. Like you don't think about it. And there's so many different kinds of privilege. So watching this movie, you're like, oh, we live in the desert, but we have water privilege.
0: <laughs> yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I just recently listened to another podcast that was talking about how L.A. gets its water or how the aqueducts. LA were originally constructed and it was just really interesting for those two things to happen at the same time for me and hearing about how important water is constantly and then just flushing the toilet is a thing we don't think about and it it just happens or so washing dishes and I was watching in the movie one of the characters is cleaning dishes with very minute amounts of water and I'm just thinking about how much water we waste to wash dishes <laughs>
1: Mm -hmm. yeah it was definitely definitely something that made me rethink like how much how much water actually gets used and the 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 ironic thing is actually earlier earlier yesterday i'd watched a uh, uh, watched a, a youtube channel that i that i frequently watch um where he goes and visits like old like like ghost towns and he's actually talking on about how how far the water had to travel to actually get to this small town back in like the early 18, 1880s. And the fact that there were fire hydrants in the town was a miracle, especially with how, how far away the water, the the water had to travel and how much pressure needed to be used to, to actually use these water, uh, these fire hydrants. Yeah. So it's kind of, it, it was kind of interesting. It really put it into perspective for me.
0: I think one of the other things that really shocked me was I never figured an apocalypse would be no water. It was never like one of those things I had to worry about. So it was very um, thought provoking there it was like, oh, shoot, this is something that without it, there's no life, period.
2: Something I found really interesting when I was watching that movie, and you're sort of getting the opening scenes where you get to know the characters, when you see the grandmother sort of going about her chores with the granddaughter, like water is so scarce and yet there are at least a dozen plants in that kitchen. So when there is a girl who is asking for water to brush her teeth, but there is water for the plants that clean our air and like nurture our home environment. I was like, that's just a whole other level of, prioritizing right like what really matters and what's important
0: i agree so we'll set up kind of we talked about how the world works in this movie but we'll set up the characters the main character we first meet is probably around our age and her early to mid 30s um and she has this most amazing hair and she is out in the world and experiencing the world and coming home it's a coming home story very much so to a um little farmhouse with a um barn and then her grand her mother is raising her daughter and they are still at the farmhouse in the barn and they've never left so they're kind of isolated she's kind of gone and experienced the world and we learn that all three of them have supernatural abilities which is why we're talking about this and um I've seen very few, but some people reference this movie as, uh, and specifically Alicia, that it's so great because it's one of those very few movies that talk about um, black magic or black woman magic and that power behind it. And throughout the movie, there is a whole lot of feminine empowerment, feminine magic. And so when I read all these... um, reviews that call it a superhero movie. I'm like, you're missing a huge mm-hmm. point here. And it's a generational thing. So the power does come down from uh, the families. And we learn very quickly on that Ruby's power, um, who is the main character, is very different from her mother and, si- and daughter's.
1: Yeah, it's I I think kind of it didn't really explain why it got to that point. But I think there was kind of like a little bit of a of a subtext as to why it was so different. It's mainly because she never nurtured it and she didn't really learn how to use it early on like her daughter did. And I think it kind of manifested in in the way that her powers were being were, were manifesting and showing themselves, causing these massive tectonic shifts earthquakes in the middle of nowhere
0: yeah and in a water-deprived society having tectonic plates shift might possibly mean aqueduct access that never happened before so that was kind of something i was thinking about um obviously in almost any superhero or secret power um plot you have the fear of being found and as ruby is out in the world and she's she can't control this happening she's having seizures and that's how the earthquakes are happening and so somehow her powers are connecting to the earth while she's having these seizures and while she shakes the earth shakes and so that's kind of something that catches eyes <laughs> mm-hmm. And um, one of the major plot points is that there's are scientists following her, trying to get to her, trying to figure out how she's doing it, why she's doing it, and whether she can help. Now, they never mention that why they're actually trying to get her other than to study her. But I think anybody with, like, understanding of how tectonic plates and water works, you could kind of figure out that maybe they're hoping to get to aqueducts under the under the ground, so... I don't know, that's just my take on it, is why they would be so enamored in getting her, other than, especially since a lot of um, the movie follows, not only is there no water, there's limited resources because there's no water. So you go in grocery stores and there's, the shelves are decimated, and I mean decimated compared to even what we're seeing here. And um, like other things, clothing in, um, glassware things like that are just minimized because if it breaks you really don't have the resources to fix it
2: so um have you guys watched american horror story coven yes
0: Yes. okay
2: so you know (laughs) you know how uh cordelia is supposed you know like she is supposed to be the next um prime or whatever they call it supreme Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. And I got the impression that her mother was purposefully stifling her and preventing her from rising to power. And I don't know if you guys got that from that at all.
1: A little bit. I mean, I I could definitely see where it was. It wasn't more or less like she was trying to stifle to to be the only one with power. But she was trying to stifle the ability so that way her daughter could have a, a normal life. I think that's kind of what what was happening personally.
0: I got a sense that she was plain afraid of the power, period. Mm-hmm. That didn't matter who had it, that she was afraid of it, especially at the very end, and not to give anything away. But um, she was afraid of her own power. She was very afraid of rubies because it was different, and I would almost say stronger in a sense. And then um, she was obviously afraid of her granddaughters, but not to the same extent because I felt like um, the granddaughter didn't reach potential yet. Possibly because of mm-hmm. youth or possibly because of training. I don't know. Oh okay. there was also a whole lot of self-confident confidence issues with Laya.
2: Right. So I was talking about I was talking about Coven as far as Cordelia and her oh, mom. Yeah. So oh, but okay. as far as like fa- and the reason I, I said that is because I saw Cordelia's Sorry. mom as sort of a very malevolent controlling force. Whereas in Fast mm-hmm. Color, I saw the mother as definitely not malevolent but absolutely afraid because I do think that there's a moment where she talks about her daughter's power. And she was saying like, you know, I saw, I saw you do things that I'd never seen before. So I took, for me, my inference was that the mother was afraid of her daughter's power and the daughter picked up on that and was like, okay, this is bad. I need to not, you know, like it, it was like her, she was being blocked or something and that that was cause that's what was causing the problems and the grandmother and the daughter maybe didn't have that problem because the daughter was manifesting in ways that the grandmother expected and it hadn't gotten to an unpredictable point yet but see, that, that that is definitely what i mean i i might be projecting so i'll put that out there because i was watching this movie and even <laughs> though like i'm adopted my my parents are white but the dynamic between the grandmother and the mom i'm like Oh, that is my dynamic with my mother where like the grandmother would say things and she wasn't trying to hurt her, but the hurt was there. Like they were hurting each other unintentionally just because there was this really uncomfortable aspect to their dynamic. And I was just like, Oh God, I, Oh, I know exactly how that feels. like I love you. And I, And you're hurting me. And why won't you stop hurting me? And your response is to hurt the person back. I was just, I cried through the second half of that movie. (laughs) I
1: just, it, Mm -hmm. it
2: hit really close to me.
1: Well, well, there, there was, there was the, the scene where after the, the mom and the grandmother had a, had a fight in the barn the next morning, they're pretty much the three generations of women were going into the kitchen, just kind of moving around their, their everyday life. And it's just a one cut scene. And there was actually I was reading up on it on IMDb and the the director actually said that she wanted to she didn't want to cut that up. They were originally intending to like cut it up into different sections, but she wanted to keep it there because every parent has gone through that. Every child has gone through that where you have an argument the night before and you're just going through the motions of the day, not necessarily talking to them, but still in a room with them and she wanted to show that she she just wanted to show that it was such a horribly beautiful thing.
2: Yeah. It felt very honest. And that's part of what I loved about this movie is like, it was very nuanced. I thought, I felt like the people who made this movie were geniuses. They kept it low budget. You know, there weren't a lot of scenes. It was shot. I'm assuming in the middle of nowhere, Texas, that's where they say it is and whether it was Mm -hmm. shot there or not, but you know, so like they had the barn and the house. And that's where most of the action takes place. You know, there's a diner and some stuff happens there and there's the, there's the downtown area, but the sets weren't that expensive, you know, yeah. and there, there's not a huge amount of cast. The writing was efficient. So there, I mean, there were just, I forget at this point, but there were just some things that were in the, in the film, like really short, brief scenes that so efficiently drew character. Like if there was just, it was incredibly efficient storytelling. I, I, I really I'm like I want a sequel and Phoenix is like there's not going to be a sequel because nobody watched this movie and I'm like there should be
1: there's not going to be a sequel but there is actually rumor that they're adapting it for television and actually going to be making a series out of it
0: that would be amazing that would be good yeah so yeah that particular scene I read up on too um one thing I like is that it's the camera is in the same position the whole entire time and I wouldn't necessarily say it's like the the discomfort or the um trying to reacclimate yourself with family members after a fight. I like how honestly normal it is. It's like, this is a day to day. And one thing, Ruby just got home and this is the first time she's interacting with her daughter as an older child. Um, so it's just, it just feels very comfortable and natural for them to interact and do what needs to be done to get food and coffee in the belly. And that's, that was how I felt like mm, with it. And to talk about that, um, fight that they had the night before, um, the specific Ruby stopping and saying, are we just going to keep hurting each other was very much a, something that I could identify with because in my family dynamic, my grandmother, um, would like to pick on me and I would turn around and just be like, all right, fine, whatever. And so hearing, are we just going to keep hurting each other?" coming out of a child to a parent was very real to me and very much a this isn't what I came home for but if that's how we're gonna do it let's do it
2: yeah Mm -hmm. and I mean also just knowing like I don't think that's what either of them want you know like I think that the daughter has missed the mother and her own daughter I think the grandmother has missed her daughter and I think that both of them have maybe have this guilt and this feeling of failure like they let each other down right and it's mm-hmm. just there's so much that can be wrapped up in that. I I loved it. Yeah. And that that one. Yeah. Go ahead.
0: Oh,
2: no. <laughs> I was just gonna say the scene in the kitchen. Um, what it reminded me of is their actual powers. The way that the colors flow around each other. Like I saw them flowing around each other in that way, and just mm-hmm. you know the fact that the grandmother has raised both of those women and maybe it shows right like they have gotten into these habits that they learn from their grandmother and even though that relationship between the mother and the daughter is new it just flows together because that's who they are
0: like them yeah. both answering at the same time if something's broken sometimes it just <laughs> stays broken yeah and like looking at each other like oh, oh. <laughs> and it wasn't like a scary moment it was just like uh we've picked up on that <laughs> But
1: one thing uh, that yeah go. uh, I I was gonna say that actually kind of came up uh, when I was talking with Sunshine about it was the the scene with the window, where the the where's uh, the mother was trying to get get her daughter to actually try to put the window back together, and like I kind of came up with a with a theory about it. It's more along the lines of it has to go back to its natural state. It or has to go back to the state it was in before you attempted to use your powers on it, and that for me kind of spoke kind of spoke volumes it's just you know yeah once things are broken it you can't really fix it to a hundred percent but just like the just like the bowl super glue there was still some outside force that was still holding it together
0: yeah that whole magic can't fix everything or can't make your life perfect but it can enhance it in some way that i think we've talked about on this show before as like a thing with even magic that we use today. Um, One thing that I kept reading, so I read a couple of different, like, comments on Rotten Tomatoes. One of the things that people were saying bad about this movie was that it couldn't hold your attention. 90% (laughs) of 90% 90% of all the spoiled or um, rotten um, comments on Rotten Tomatoes were white men. So I was just like, shut up and go. This isn't for you. That's why you couldn't hold your attention. And the very few that women that said that they didn't like it were white women. So not to call anybody out. But it was like, if you cannot connect with these characters, then there's, they're not characters for you
2: well and i don't even i would go further than that because if you know the people who were really displeased with the movie and they thought it was uninteresting if most of these people were white men they're spoiled they're used to everything being about them they're used to all the characters uh-huh. being white males and they're like oh my god the, the main character was not a white male this is so boring i'm like welcome to my fucking world motherfucker i'm a woman of color ain't nothing ever about me i still you know i still love star wars even though they're all white bitches
1: Oh yeah yeah it, it's definitely definitely one of the biggest one of the biggest things that I've I've seen about because I I went on Rotten Tomatoes too and I'm like you're a white guy, you're a white guy, you're a white guy okay, you're not you're not a white guy. you got this movie. you're getting what the what this movie's putting down and it's just it, it it's it speaks so much to privilege
2: yeah,
0: it does. And I also think it speaks to how Hollywood has trained us to be entertained. This movie wasn't Mm -hmm. necessarily something that was supposed to be riveting and keep you entertained. It was real life with a splash of the supernatural. And uh, if you're listening to this podcast and that's not your life, um, hi, uh, therapy. (laughs) Therapy. Welcome to the weird. That's our that's our experience. So I think that's why we could connect with this, but it wasn't necessarily supposed to be a riveting superhero film. So when I'm reading all of these descriptors calling it superhero, I'm like, you're failing the movie. You're not doing it justice by calling it a superhero movie.
2: You know what? I don't I never thought it, about that at all, but I think that it's a really good point.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, cuz it even it even calls it out in the movie itself you know, where, where she says, we're, we're not superheroes, you know, we're, we're not going to use this power to go out and, and, and become superheroes. It's something that they're trying to, trying to stifle and trying to keep on the low.
0: Yeah. And, And specifically saying, we're just trying to survive. I think that, that not only really defines what their situation currently is, anybody in that situation of, um, no water, trying to keep themselves to themselves is going to say, we're just trying to survive. But at the same time, I think that works in the real world for anybody who defines themselves a witch or a pagan or just trying to get by here.
2: I think um, one of the interesting things about the grandmother and the mother and the daughter, like I've maybe a few years ago, I learned that like, Oh, well, if you think about it, every woman is born with every egg she will ever have. So if that's true, that means your body didn't make that. Your mom's body made that. And when you talk about things like skipping a generation, I'm like, oh, so yes, like you, you gestate your baby and you give birth to your baby, but that genetic material is your mom's. It's not yours. So that could really explain why things skip a generation. So if the, if the granddaughter have her magic and the way she experiences magic is a little more like the grandmother that kind of makes sense because the grandmother made the genetic material that made, you know, at least 50% of that baby. And so if they both have maybe this traditional or just more standard way of viewing their magic and their powers of like, Oh, well, this is just how it works. And these are the rules. And it feels to me like part of the daughter's problem was That she was like, oh, well, let's just see what we can do. Like, she was rebellious. She's like, well, Grandma says that's the rule, but maybe it's not the rule. (laughs) She's like, maybe we can do this.
0: I loved that, that she was just like, just because that's always been the rule doesn't mean that that's true. Like, we have to find the new limit and find the new, new subtext to what mm-hmm. we're a- capable of. And, um, I appreciated the mitochondrial conversation there where all D DN- women's DNA can connect, uh, back. Um, and just any scene where all three of them are standing in a row i don't care where they're standing i just maiden mother crone was screaming in my head the whole movie <laughs> was this is a movie of maiden mother crone and this is a different way and this is the way that it, it's just very open eye opening because when you say maiden mother crone to a traditional wiccan they're going to think celtic or roman ideals of what that is and having that um not be the case in this movie and still being able to connect maiden mother crone in that situation to me was just very powerful and overwhelming almost
1: now one, one thing one thing i want to i want to talk about so the little girl how, how old was she how old was she i mean
2: i how think old was she, she was she? like eight or something i honestly don't remember uh, but
1: but eight, about eight, about eight, ten, eight, eight, so, eight, yeah, 10. So, somewhere in there. She fixed a truck <laughs> by by herself.
2: That's what happens when you don't have truck. the internet, you guys. If you don't have the Netflix and you don't have the internet, then you make your own fun. So you just you
0: fix uh, a truck. A thirteen-year-old in the eighties fixed a transformer. Okay, right. I, my, <laughs> without the internet, kids could do anything. <laughs>
1: No, it it just kind of it just kind of goes to show that you know the just how much we rely on internet, computers, television, screen, screen, screens. What things are we missing out on? You know, being stuck behind these screens. You know, if if I mean they're they're showing, yeah, an eight nine year old can fix a truck. What can we do without that thing in our hands?
0: Yeah, and one of my favorite um, scenes is when she's meditating. Um, Ruby, the main character, is meditating. She's trying to figure out how to... fix her powers because the tectonic plate things happened after she was incapable of doing the things that were normal for their generational power. And she's sitting there, she's holding this bowl that one point she broke and her daughter actually gave her a really clever idea. Instead of trying to connect with it, just try to remember it and then you see like this swirling happening up in the sky and things happening in the sky that she's completely unaware of but you're like wait that that's that's your power no pay attention Mm -hmm. to that and then the moment she loses focus it drops
1: yeah so uh i think we're gonna have to go into break because uh, it looks like we may have lost royce okay but uh yeah so we're we're gonna take the opportunity we're gonna take a break and we will be right back yeah
0: millennial pagan podcast is exclusively supported by patreon listeners like you can gain great benefits from your favorite show such as
1: at one dollar a month you get a personalized shout out at the end of the next full-length episode
0: at $5 a month, you receive a thank you card in the mail with a Millennial Pagan Podcast button and sticker enclosed. Additionally, $5 a month supporters have access to our monthly 30-minute mini-sodes.
1: Patreon supporters are also the first to learn about new and exciting updates to Millennial Pagan Podcast.
0: More benefits and exclusive content to come. Welcome back! to Millennial Pagan Podcasts, We had some technical difficulties and we were just ready to get more coffee. So we are going to finish up our conversation about Fast Colors, the movie, and then kind of move on um, to talking a little bit about how to be a better ally for your friends of color.
1: Yeah. Uh, So one thing I do want to point out just really quick. uh, So Julia Hart, uh, one of the writers and the director for this movie, uh, she did another movie that actually just came out Uh, earlier this year called star girl um it was a a disney plus movie so uh if so it's kind of kind of similar because i actually got i actually was able to watch that very similar uh in direction style so if you guys liked the movie star girl definitely check out fast color uh especially those of you that are in our witchy community uh because you're definitely going to get a kick out of it
0: you just did a lot of homework i'm i'm wow
1: well i i am (laughs) db gotta love it okay fine (laughs) but uh, i i will say this the uh the way that they kind of portrayed the uh the colors in the movie i see that sometimes
0: (laughs) yeah yeah that was interesting um i don't necessarily see it like the swirls or the um the stuff that floats in the air, kind of way. But when mm-hmm. they are showing um, the first scene where she controls the sky and see the colors in the clouds, I kind of, I've seen that before, whereas like the colors mix into normal things as mm-hmm. opposed to techno floaties. Um, so that was really an interesting thing. Um, one of the Rotten Tomatoes said that the title is arbitrary. And I'm like, then you weren't paying attention. <laughs>
1: You only probably made it like 30 minutes into the movie.
2: Yeah, I I feel like uh, the movie was, you really had to infer. So the people who were checked out and were just like, this was boring. I'm like, they didn't bang you over the head with anything in that film. You had to be listening to the tone of voice and watching the body language. And I think that's part of why it drew me in so close, because if you're not looking for inference, then you are going to be missing what's going on.
0: You definitely had to use your brain. You definitely had to think about why things were happening. And it wasn't going to explain, like, no character's going to sit down and explain their life story to you. It kind of slowly happened over time, which I felt very much more natural with it. I liked the pace of how that was going on. And so when people are complaining, it's like, that's not natural for you to sit down and go, oh, when I was seven, this story happened. Like, you might have memories, but what I liked is one time when she's remembering things that were really trivial, she's doing everyday things. She's filling up a gas canister, and she's thinking about, oh, well, this is why I originally left home, and that was a terrible thing, and that's what is affecting me so hard. And it's like, it's a proper time to have those sit down memory flashes come to mind and it like just having those magically appear because you're in the middle of a conversation doesn't happen you're focusing on the conversation you're having so I liked -hmm. liked that it wasn't it's not gonna um, hit you over the head with this is what's happening because that's not how real life works
1: well even even uh, even Julia Hart she said uh, you need to turn off your analytical brain to understand this movie better so don't, don't try to pick it apart. Don't try to be, you know, nitpicky with everything. You you just have to go and and enjoy it.
2: Yeah. I mean, even the breakthrough that she has, like the climax of her movie, I'm like, Oh my God, I get this character. I would have that response too. I was like, Oh, water is the dangerous thing. So we're done with that. Fuck water. Like, even if it's not a conscious thought, you're just, it's an emotional response, right? Like a mother's mm-hmm. emotional instinct to protect her baby. I'm like, I totally get how that would happen.
1: Yeah. And it's definitely such a, and and spoiler, uh, you know, spoilers and all that stuff. Definitely seeing, seeing the transition from her completely losing, almost losing her daughter to being able to control just that, that scene where she's out in the open and the, the, the plates are starting to shift. There's the earthquake starting and just her, realizing this is why this is happening and it just shuts off and you just see like the little droplets of rain just starting to come around her and and you see the little drops droplets of rain hitting her hand and I think that's definitely the moment that I I kind of I kind of realized that she hasn't been using her abilities this is how it's manifesting and when she was finally able to realize what was going on, her abilities were in check and her abilities, her, her physical ailment of the, uh, of the um, seizures. I don't think she's really going to have to do, you really have to worry about that anymore.
2: Yeah. I mean, all I right. feel like she was stifling her true self and that was the problem. That's mm-hmm. where the addiction was coming from. And that was, you know, all this, involuntary violence and I don't know if you guys have had experiences where you've strayed off your spiritual path but that's absolutely happened to me where my life is going to crap and I feel like I can't control everything and any everything is blowing up and it's like well because you're not doing the thing that you're supposed to do and that's why everything is terrible yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah.
0: And pretty much when my whole world kind of did the whole blow up thing, the moment I turned back to my spirituality is when things um, started to work out in a way. Um, it makes sense. Uh, and it wasn't even necessarily like just going back to my spiritual path. It was going back to working on me and being me as opposed to something else. And that um, was very much what I felt like she was experiencing. And I feel like the moment you see the water droplets hit her hand, it was like a a release. Mm -hmm. And I think, I don't know the, when I'm out in the rain, it's very much a release of all this pent up stuff that the earth is holding in. And so it's just a relief.
1: Yeah. I think one of the big things that I'm, I, I take away from the movie and I mean, I've, I've kind of been living this, this way for the past, I'd say year, is being unashamedly me. I, when I introduce myself at first to people, you know it's you know if, if the topic comes up or anything comes up like that, I say, oh yeah I'm a, I'm a witch. And surprisingly, the the positive response has definitely outweighed any negative response I've ever gotten from it. So it's literally just to be unashamedly yourself. At least that's, that's what I'm taking away from it.
2: Yeah, no, I completely agree. And there's so many layers of that family hiding. You know, like mm-hmm. if you go up to the first generation, that was an interracial couple. <laughs> and, mm-hmm. um, you know, the parent, her parents weren't living together. And what I got from it was not because they didn't love each other, but his way of protect, protecting the love of his life. And his daughter and his granddaughter was to be in town with his ear to the ground, making sure they were safe just all the time. And like that, mm-hmm. I saw that as his sacrifice. It's like, this is what I'm doing. I felt he, like he that. gave
1: up. Yeah. Yeah. He, he, he gave up his auto shop to become a sheriff.
2: I thought that
0: was like the biggest sacrifice that one could give for his family. And when he described that and said, I'm a sheriff to protect your mother and you, because then I can pay attention who's coming and going. And I felt like that was the most loving act he could have done.
1: Which kind of, kind of leads into what we're talking about now. Allyship. You know, he, you know, it it, it wasn't just for the fact that, you know, Yeah. The, the mother of his child was black. No, it was the mother of his child was in danger. And he really, he stood up for what, what he believed and he gave up something that was so near and dear to him to be able to be that ally.
2: And I, one of the things I love about the metaphor of magic and, you know, having these abilities and talking about, you know, people of color and minorities of any kind it's just like it's dangerous just to be who you are. It's dangerous to exist, and that's true to some degree for everybody, right? Like when you talk mm. about intersectionality, it would be great if there were only one group of people that were oppressed, but unfortunately, that's not the case, right? Like right, there's so right. many different ways that people oppress each other. And-
1: yeah, it's it, it it's it is heartbreaking, but it's one of those big things that I, I kind of. I mean I've I've seen it from the beginning and I've at least to to what I've held held true to my entire life is you know no matter who you know no matter who's hurting I'm going to be there for them.
0: I guess one of the major questions with uh how to be an ally is how do we recognize in ourselves when we're I guess fucking up <laughs> is the best way to say it or not being sensitive In our conversation or in our um, thoughts, Um, as I'm sure a lot of our listeners have heard me say, I grew up in the South and in a very white area in the South, so I did not experience Um, realizing that what was coming out of my mouth was insensitive until later and I had to learn how to say I am ignorant, please teach me. And it took me a while to realize that because I think a lot of people are like, oh no, I'm not racist. I have these people as friends, but they don't realize how insensitive sometimes what they're saying can be. So I guess that's our topic.
2: Yeah. First. I mean it's a huge, it's a huge topic. Um so the first thing yeah. I'm gonna say is, I mean, I will I'll talk about it, but my first recommendation is if you really care about these issues and you're really interested and you're really committed, I recommend the podcast Code Switch. It is fantastic, it's amazing, and that's all they do is talk about this every week because it is complicated and it's you know, there's so many different things. So If you really want to learn consistently, I recommend that podcast because that's where I've taught myself. And I think, um, you know, I've had a journey throughout my whole life. I I was adopted. It was a transracial adoption. So my parents are white. My brother is white. I grew up in white schools and white neighborhoods. Most of my friends are white. (laughs) So, you know, I think for me, the easiest thing to do is recognize what's going on learn how to recognize in myself, because I think for most of my life, I tried to help other people along their path and say, Hey, this is what's going on. And people don't want to hear that there's anything wrong with what they're saying or what they're doing. You know, it's, it's very uncomfortable, but if I take responsibility for my own actions, then I don't have to worry about hurting someone else's feelings or getting, you know, them being resistant. I'm like, Oh no, I'm, you know, I'm taking care of myself and I'm teaching myself the things that I shouldn't say or the things that maybe I think and I should question that. So it's it's a lifelong process for me being um, anti-racist is a lifelong commitment. It's not something where you get to read a list of books and you're like, okay, I'm not racist anymore. You know, like we all say things that are maybe not okay, and we all, you know, have thoughts that are that are biased. And I think the best way to combat that is just realizing that. It's a lifelong process to get better rather than it's like, oh, I'm going to do X, Y and Z and then I'm good and I don't have to worry about this anymore because everybody wants to be done. Like I would love to be done. But um, since it's obvious that I'm not white, I'm never going to be done. And so long as there are people who are oppressed in this world, I'm never going to be done. And we just have to decide like what amount of confrontation we can take on. And still keep ourselves safe, right? Because, like, we always have to take care of ourselves first. So I've been overwhelmed lately. <laughs> My partner was overwhelmed. Mm-hmm. I remember every. I remind everyone, I'm like, okay, so rest is an act of resistance. <laughs> the capitalists <laughs> do not want you rested so you can fight. <laughs> There's a reason. I right? had protests during a pandemic. People are sleeping. <laughs> and, and they're not mm-hmm. necessarily at work. And they're like, no, this is terrible. Like, this That, you know, it's part of the system of oppression to have us work 40 plus hour weeks. It's there's so many the people in power. They're good at what they do, and they've got a lot of tools in their belt. And we have to deconstruct those tools and challenge those methods. And sometimes that just means taking a break. But it's better to take a break and come back ready to fight than to say, oh, this is too hard. So I just give up.
0: Agreed. And I I 100% agree with what you're saying, because it seems like every time the protests start, at some point, you have to go back to work. Well, right now, you go, okay, I have to go back to work, because you've put in the same amount of time you had last time, and then you turn around, there's no work. So it's like, all right, I'll just stay here, and (laughs) you know what, do it until either I have to go back to work, or it's fixed. And um, at this point, I'm thinking we're going to actually make some movement into it before
2: we go back to work yeah I mean things have happened that are positive um you know people get upset about the violence I'm like I am very nonviolent. I don't like violence but sometimes violence is the only language that violent people listen to and I think that's the the honorable and noble history of the warrior it's not that Gosh, I love bashing skulls in. It's there are things that are sacred that are worth fighting for, and if I have to fight for it, then I will.
0: Yes, I agree.
1: Yes, yeah, especially when they're you know when when it comes to the to the point of you know yeah you have been talking for such a long time and they're just not listening and they're being such a, a violent community against you. Yeah, it, to make them listen, maybe maybe you have to become violent. Maybe not to the extent that they are, but at least to open their eyes and to know that they're that, you know, we're, we're not going to lay down and just take it anymore.
2: I mean, to, to make it in a to talk about it in a micro way, when I was living abroad, you know, I, I grew up American and I was living in China and I was living in a very different culture. And I'm used to people wanting to be nice. Like if I say, Hey, there's this problem and I need to be fixed. I expect someone to care to some degree, right? Even if it's just a small thing, Mm -hmm. like, Oh, my mattress is, is too old and I need a mattress I can sleep on without waking up in in pain. And, um, I came to realize after being in China for a few months, nothing can ever be my problem that I'm asking someone else to fix because they don't care because it's my problem. I had to make it their problem. And I'm absolutely, this is actually a quote from uh, M.K. Jemison's book, uh, The City We Became, but like, there's nothing true, there's nothing that's true in one place that's completely untrue in another. They're just, we hold different things up. Um, we value some things more than others. So even though it's true in China, that's still true here, right? Like if you have a problem and you're saying, hey, you're killing me and I hate that you're killing me and they're just like, yeah, 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 go back to work. And I'm like, hmm, okay, So this is my problem, you don't care. So I need to make it your problem. You know, like when you're trying to get movement on something and the people that you need to be your allies and work with you to change things can easily brush you off, you need to get to a point where they realize it is also their problem. And that's not always cute.
1: Mm -hmm. (laughs) Oh, Oh, yeah.
0: No, it's not. Yeah, and I think that's a major problem with um, the privilege problem is that white people don't notice that uh, that as a problem for society don't notice that oppression of minorities is a um, problem that is affecting them it's also a problem with the patriarchy like men men who are benefiting don't realize that they're not <laughs> and therefore trying to say but no your life also sucks because of this and this is why and they're like no i'm the best i'm on top and it's like. I understand that capitalism has taught you you need scapegoats, but at the same time, it
2: made you a scapegoat. right. Do you guys uh, do you guys watch um, the Handmaids Tale? I don't.
1: I haven't. It, it is
2: amazing. It is an excellent lesson on oppression because there is this idea that like, well, you definitely don't want to be a handmaid because those are the lowest. And above them are the Marthas, who are basically the maids. So they do the cooking and the cleaning and that sort of thing. And if you're a woman, then you definitely want to be a wife because you have the highest amount of status and the highest amount of power. But you're still not allowed to read. You're still not allowed to write. You're still not allowed to have your own job or your own life. So, what I mean, there's three seasons of that show so far. And what I love is, like, each season you sort of see – more deeply how corrupt the system of power are so you start out and you're like oh my god the poor handmaids they're treated so terribly and this is bad for the handmaids and they are like oh but this actually kind of sucks for the dudes too so like even though the men are in power they may not get to choose their own partner they're they're being forced to have sex with somebody that they're not choosing like the men are also suffering even though they're on the top of this scheme and the wives like You know, at this point in the show, spoiler, like if somebody's mutilated, there's one character who's mutilated. She's not a handmaid. She's a wife, you know, because she she thinks that she's in this position of more power than the other women in her society. But these terrible rules still apply to her. So everyone's suffering under this under this world. The men are unhappy. The women are unhappy all through the ranks. But it's like the higher you are on this system of oppression the easier it is for you to ignore your own oppression. And I think that that's a really important point because I absolutely believe that applies to our world. You know, like toxic masculinity sucks. It sucks for women. It sucks for the dudes. Like everyone should wear what they want to wear and feel awesome. And everyone should do what they want to do and enjoy it. If they're not hurting somebody else, like there's, we are all enslaved in different ways to different degrees and The more we're critical of the whole system, the easier it is to see how this hurts us, too, and also the people who are hurting more.
0: I um, love the memes that are going around about um, defunding the police and then them turning around going, we've been doing this to our educational system for years. And I'm like, and if we flip it backwards, we wouldn't have... As much of a problem. If we were capable of fairly educating everyone or giving them the education. As- supplies options that everyone needs it would minimize the problem and I know that there's a whole lot wrong and problems with what I just said as somebody who has a learning disability I understand I cannot be taught the same way as everyone else and as somebody who went to a state that has absolute shitty education but went in a county with the best education I went to college noticing how that changed and then noticing where in my state those changes were. So I, I know a lot of what I'm saying has problems, but if we were put more money in education, if we took that money away and put it in education, I think it would help to a larger degree than most people are um, giving it credit.
2: Right. Well, I mean, right now our state capital in Arizona is Phoenix. Do you know how much of the Phoenix city budget goes to the police?
1: A lot.
0: A stupid amount.
2: It's 50%. 50% mm. of Phoenix's budget goes to the police. I'm like, what if 50% of Phoenix's budget went to education? What would our community look like if that were true? I would love definitely, to see
1: that. We definitely, we definitely wouldn't be 48th in education right? anymore. <laughs>
2: right? Okay. So, well, sorry, yeah, I mean, the the, the it, of police is all about like, You know, if we're sending police in to do things that they're not trained or equipped to do, like respond to people who are, you know, having a mental illness episode or people who are a neurotypical, you know, there's so many, there are so many conflicts that can happen in society that are not going to be improved with a gun. (laughs) And we have, I mean, I've, I've known so many social workers who burnt out in the first five years and teachers are similar. It's like, OK, you have these people doing jobs that they can't even keep doing because the work is so overwhelming and the pay is so dismal. Like if we just funded the people who do these social services then the police could focus on the things we actually need them for and we could have less violence and less conflict and we just have stronger communities
0: as short as two years ago, I worked very closely with Scottsdale Police Department and they constantly said that they do not have the resources to deal with mental illness and that they are constantly called to these calls where they don't know how to handle or de-escalate or help these people appropriately. So they're stuck sticking them in a cell and it that helps some people. But if you look at One of the things that I always credit is at the very least with a homeless person, when they are arrested, then they get food and shelter for very least a day. But if you look at our homeless population in America is over, what, 80 something percent mentally ill. That's why they're in their situations that they're in, why they cannot get a job or choose not to have a normal job, normal Life, per se. And then our response is to call the police when they're in places that we consider they're not supposed to be. And it's a positive because that's the only time that they're going to get food, water, and the ability to shower, air conditioner, maybe even a checkup what's wrong with this world that in a jail is when they're going to get these things that they should have access to or there should be a social worker sitting at a desk with an open door saying please come in get these things and maybe we'll even be able to get you the meds you need
2: right i mean i just i i am radical I'm done with prisons. I'm done with people profiting over destructions of families and racial injustice. I'm like, no, Mm -hmm. you, you have mental illness. You need care. We need to take care of you and help you be healthy. And maybe you're not safe to be around other people. And we can address that and keep you isolated, but still take care of you rather than throwing you in to this profiteering nightmare that the taxpayers pay for That's literally just creating more of a problem. when these people are released. And I just like, no, this is exactly. not the punishment. This idea of punishment is so archaic, you know, like, no, it's not about punishment. It's about, I mean, restitution is cool, but if we have somebody who is not able to function in society, we need to ask why that is and what we can do about it. Yes. Mm-hmm.
0: I constantly love to point out um, the Netherlands and their way of handling all of these systems that I feel like, I- I'm not saying they're perfect, but all of our systems that I'm seeing in my eyes as failing, they have made to an extent where their recidivism rate is so low, their education rate is so high, and then their actual markets are, work- are still holding themselves up in this pandemic. So it's like, all right, well, all of these systems we're pointing out in our country as problematic. Why aren't we trying to model ourselves up against what they're doing? Because people are afraid of socialism.
2: Well, it's, it's worse than that. So it's a, it's an, it's an us versus them problem. Right. So Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. if you're American, it's really important to see like, well, I'm American and everybody who is living in America is is American, right? Like they are, we are sharing the space together, whether they have official citizenship or not, we are living here together and our actions affect each other. And if we do good by ourselves and others, then we're all going to benefit. And we lack that in this country because we do have such a heterogeneous population. So you look at places like, you know, the Netherlands and the Scandinavian countries, they see each other as part of their own in-group. So they're like, well, yes, of course, we want to take care of our own community because they see each other as their own community. But we have a lot of people in this country who are like, well, there's my group, and then there's those people over there, and those people are lazy, and those people are addicts, and those people are bad. And I don't want to help them. I only want to help my own group. And I think that that's Mm -hmm. really what we're struggling with.
0: The criminalization of uh, illness is very problematic that um – especially with drug uh, illness and drug addiction, we're not looking at it as an illness. We're looking at it as a uh, criminal act because it is criminalized. And uh, I have so much angst and anger with that. um, I I have a lot of, I butt heads a lot with people who um, I went to school with because of my feelings on these situations that we're, were criminalizing life and our response to life being shitty
2: yeah i mean poverty is the enemy and if we could accept that poverty is the enemy then maybe we could move forward
1: (laughs) yeah we need we need to wage war on poverty not poor people
2: yeah yeah
0: and we should wage war on health care and, and reforming and giving people better health care, not just like n- normal, but mental health care. Our, system, as I'm sure anybody who's actually listening, is so broken in just plain old how do you sit down in front of a doctor? I keep reading this um, one post of somebody who found a lump in her breast while she was working in Iceland, and how she was cared for there versus how she was cared for back home, and like just saying, well, do I need a referral, and everyone looking at her like, what, 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 no, no, just come for a visit you found a thing that thing can kill you let's fix you now whereas here it's like oh you found a thing that's nice we have this opening in three months and okay so now you need an x-ray so that opening is in three weeks and it's this long drawn out process of here's $300 for this x-ray here's $300 for this um, ultrasound and here's all this money that you're spending to try and keep yourself alive and then when you finally get this diagnosis of the big C. And then you're like, I can't afford the treatments. It's ridiculous.
2: I've heard all this reporting on healthcare with the coronavirus and how it's affecting hospitals and that they're struggling with their bottom lines. And they're saying, yeah, you know, hospitals make most of their money on elective surgeries. And I'm like, that's bonkers. No wonder our healthcare system is broken. If you rely on people choosing to have surgery to keep your doors open and do what you do I'm like why is it that we will absolutely pay taxes when the house is burning down I'm like you can leave the house if the house is on fire you can walk out of it and and not die but healthcare you can't leave your own body I mean sure you could astral project but that's only going to last so long like you like why are you going to come back Right. I'm like why are we more willing to pay taxes to make sure somebody's house doesn't burn down. And we're not at all willing to take care of somebody's body, which they literally cannot live without. It's, it makes no sense to me.
1: You know, it's, it's kind of funny. Cause I was actually watching, like something popped up in my, in my YouTube yesterday. You, you know, that show Adam ruins everything. Yeah. So an episode popped up where they were talking about healthcare and the hospital system and all that. And it just, it kind of, is just hysterical that, that we're talking about it just because yeah, the, the, the way that the prices are so overinflated, it's not, you know, and, and the thing is everybody blames, you know, the, the politicians or government or something. Uh, no, it's actually not that it's the hospitals themselves. They're, they're increasing the prices of everything so that, that way they can pay off, you know, pay off the 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 insurance and all that stuff. And if you're stuck without insurance, you have to pay these made up prices and these overinflated prices for like for everything. Like it's thirty-seven dollars for a single aspirin. He, yeah, it I mean, takes it,
0: $10 to make uh, yeah. insulin, and then how much is insulin? Like, it's ridiculous.
2: Mm-hmm. I mean, when you have people who are risking death and actually dying because they're trying to afford their insulin and space it out, it, it's really – have you guys ever watched the show The Resident? <laughs>
1: yes Yes. oh my god
2: i love that show but it is not good for me because i watch an episode of that show and i'm just enraged because even though it's fictional they're absolutely addressing very real life problems in the medical industry and i'm just like everything's so broken
0: (laughs) oh me watching like law and order yes
2: it's just like why is everything terrible (laughs)
0: So, so kind of going back to our original topic um what I'm hearing from my friends and from the Internet and everywhere is just trying to pick up information and opening yourself up to a world that you didn't grow up with. And that's kind of how I've tried to educate myself. Um, I'm going to use myself as an example because, again, I came from very a very tiny white world. And then coming out of it and being surrounded by so much of that hate and racism and that being everything, there was no question about it, that's how the world works, and going, but I don't want that for myself, how do I fix it? Um, Jared, there was a great episode of Adam Ruins Everything about Housing and just realizing that from the beginning of somebody who is not like me, who does not look like me, is born, there's already these systems in place that affect from housing to education to workplace that are, we're saying, as the greatest country in the world, aren't there. But then if you really pay attention, they are. And it makes it harder for younger me's argument of, but they never talked to me about these issues and nobody wants to be my friend and help me learn. No, I needed to do that on my own. So (laughs) that's my statement to anybody who's like, well, I'm not racist, but I can't make friends to learn how to be a better ally. It's like, no, start for yourself, please.
2: Yeah. You know, there's one, there's one comment that I heard that I, I mean, a lot of this As an adult, like an older adult, I have been processing things that have been hidden within myself for most of my life. And I just the past three years, I'm just like, oh, so this is all this stuff, and I need I need to deal with it now because it's clearly affected me. And just the idea of like whose space you're in, right? So like if you're a white person and you have friends of color, asking the question are they in my space or am I in theirs? And I'm like, I can guarantee you that most white people with friends who are not white are still in white spaces. Right. So mm-hmm. I mean that I've really been struggling with the pandemic. I live with amazing people in this house. I adore them. They are all white. <laughs> and my best friend is my person of color who is in my life. And when we're not in a pandemic every week I would just have a day where I got to spend with her and we would hang out and we would watch TV or I would go with her on errands. Like we would just physically spend time together so we can um, Mm -hmm. just have that connection. And with the pandemic, you know, she has three young children, two of whom are at risk. I haven't seen her in months. (laughs) And I realized there was a moment where I realized, Oh, that's part of the problem. Like, why am I so upset? What's wrong with me? Why am I so emotional? Like, I've, I've on, only been in white spaces. I'm, I don't have my space where I get to be a person of color and I get to share that with somebody and I can complain and whine and groan and and be myself in that way. And I don't have to worry about making someone else uncomfortable. So I think that's that's worth people considering too. Because if it was a new idea for me, then it's probably a new idea for others. I'm like, yeah, well, no matter how many friends of color do you have you have, are they in your space or are you in their space? Like, are you... Mm -hmm. you know, adjusting yourself to be in their culture, because I know there are times where I just, I just isolate because I'm just tired. I just like, I don't want to have to abide by those rules, even if they're fair and they're fine and they're neutral. It's just like, I just want to be myself. And if I want to be myself and not have to worry about being another person's face, then I'll just be alone.
1: Yeah.
0: Thank you for Uh, that.
1: Yeah, that, that's that really that really hits hits really close. And I, I understand that. Um what one thing one thing I will say, especially with with the onset of, of today's day and age with social media, um I I've seen a lot of a lot of different things in social media itself, like TikTok, YouTube uh facebook where where people are, are showing allyship and kind of saying what it what it means to be an ally. Um I mean kind of what what's what's your take on that using using social media as a platform to help allyship? Um
2: wow, that's a good question because I I am one of the olds. Like I'm on Facebook and who's on <laughs> Facebook anymore? <laughs> like I I have a Twitter account but I haven't used it in a long time and I'm not on Insta the way everyone is. So um I went hard Like I, I, I'm used to the fact that I make people uncomfortable. And one thing that my best friend and I have in common is like, oh no, I'm going to make you uncomfortable because we both have lives that are full of white people, you know? And I mean, she's, -hmm. she's Mexican and Irish, but she can pass. And so we're just like, oh no, if you're going to see my Facebook page, you're going to be uncomfortable. And I'm going to post all these things that make you uncomfortable. (laughs) So, um, as an ally, okay. My number one tip, do not... Post violence against people of color because sometimes um, I know that there were videos that were shared around the internet that spurred things getting moving so that maybe people were um, arrested and charged on the violence that they committed against people of color. And I'm glad that that's a possibility. But for you and I and most people, we're usually seeing those photos or whatever after that has already happened. So um, you might be sharing a photo of somebody kneeling on somebody's neck because you want to show how appalling it is. And, oh, this is so wrong. But that could be triggering for a person of color. And even if it's not a person of color seeing it, you are normalizing violence against a person of color just by posting that photo in your feed. So while I do realize that most people are well-intentioned when they share videos and they share images, my number one tip is do not post images of violence against people of color. <laughs> okay. I mean, what did you, what did, what are your guys's take? Because we're talking about my opinions, but I mean, what do you, what do you think has been useful for you and you know, that you've seen that really helped?
0: Well, you just kind of so. opened my eyes for a second that, um, the whole being in white spaces when you were talking about your best friend, uh, Sound Guy T is the guy that I go to and I say, am I being an insensitive white person? <laughs> and he'll help me go through that. Cause I'm not perfect. I'm never going to say I'm perfect. I'm still working on this shit and I know I'm shitty at it. Um, and that's why I'm highlighting where I came from because I know I have a whole avenue of places I need to work on. Um, And so when you were talking, I realized one of the things I want to be is that space where you can come to me as your most open and possible self and be who you are, whether that is a person of color or another white person and and talk to me like how you would. I know that's going to be a hard ask. I know that I have no place to ask, but I want to hear those conversations so I can more understand my friends and how they are reacting, how they're feeling. Um, I know uh, sound guy T and I actually had a big conversation about um, police brutality and police issues because as you guys know, my degree is in criminology and um, I have a very different take and throughout this time, I have molded and I've never wanted anything like this to happen. um, I'm 100% obvious, don't have to go down that road, but what I want to do as a person to develop my ability to be an ally is to be that space where you can be yourself, you can talk how you would talk to your friends of color. And I don't want to necessarily have to make you preface yourself, um, but also allow me ask those questions of, okay, can, can you tell me why this is a problem and why this hurts and what I can do? I, I wanna be that, that safe space. I guess. Well, I mean, what I'm saying.
2: honestly, Autumn, like I've known you for a while now and you were one of the first people that I really connected with when I came back to the States. And, you know, the group that you ran for us, the book club was a place where I felt like I could be myself. And you are someone in my life for me who has modeled what I hope most people would be. You know, like, I always felt safe around you, and I didn't feel like I was the only kind of person who was safe. Like, I just saw you going to effort to make everyone around you feel safe and included. And, like, you, for me, you are that person. And that's why, like, I miss you so much. And I, I will tell you, like... I do not get out of bed before noon on a Sunday for just anybody. <laughs> I didn't get out of bed until 10.30. Like yesterday, I'm not even kidding. I think we were in bed until five or six. But I like, Ooh. you know, like I just, my, my partner's on third shift and, you know, we, we usually will just be in t- bed together, but, but I love you. And it's like, well, well, it's autumn. So yes, yes, I will do this. And you, you for me, you are this person. I, I admire you. I see you just always trying to be courteous and thoughtful of others. And I think the fact that you are so critical is part of what makes you so amazing. You know, when my best friend and I, part of our bond is that we try to hold ourselves and each other accountable. Like if we think we might've done or said or thought something sketchy, we're like, so this was me today. And what are your thoughts? And I mean, we'll just, you know, or my messaging like, oh, I'm a terrible person. I got annoyed at this situation. And even though I know it's not politically correct, feel this way. This is why I feel this way, you know, and we'll, we'll talk each other through those feelings and thoughts. And we'll say, well, I have this privilege, like we talk more, my friend of color and myself talk more about our privilege than anyone else I've ever met, because we are practicing and working on ourselves. I'm like, I have english-speaking privilege i am an english speaking native english speaker and that's a huge privilege i up until like the past week having a u.s passport was a huge privilege now we can't go anywhere but you know it was cool <laughs> we <can> get <laughs> eat we have air conditioning you know like there's so many forms of privilege i'm an able-bodied person i can walk and run and swim i have a pool like just being creative about the kind of privileges you have just like doing that mental practice is awesome. And that's something we do with each other because we realize like the war starts at home, right? Like if I don't want to see this in others, I can at least fight that battle in my own house on myself and Mm -hmm. learn what it looks like. And then maybe I can help others, but at least I can hold myself accountable. And since we are safe with each other in those ways, we go hard. We're just like, oh, this is what I don't feel good about. And, you know, we have those, uncomfortable discussions with each other. So at least we can make each other better. So, yeah.
1: Yeah. that, that That's, that I was going to say, that's one of the strongest things is, is being able to to sit down with somebody and call each other out on, on these things and kind of help and not, not just call each other out, but help each other through Yeah, it.
2: And I mean, calling ourselves out and just, you know, like sometimes yeah. you could have a legitimate complaint, right? Like my friend was talking about going to the grocery store and every, you know, sh- money is tight for everybody right now and she's feeding her husband her brother her and her three kids and herself so she has a household of six and a cat to take care of and so when she goes to the grocery store she wants her vegetables and her produce to at least be in the condition in which she picked them and put them into her cart and if somebody is bruising her produce that's frustrating right and if the person who's bruising that produce is someone that it is not politically correct to be displeased with, that could be a frustrating situation. But it's like, but I understand you paid money for that. You're feeding that food to your family. Like there's, there's an acceptable way to talk about this that isn't, you know, discriminatory, but you can feel yeah. uncomfortable having those feelings, even if you have a completely legitimate thing that is frustrating you. And, um, I guess those friends are extra valuable if you have people in your life that you do feel safe with, that you can be vulnerable in that way and say like, I would not have this conversation with anyone else. This made me angry and I want to talk about it. You know,
0: as, as privilegey as this story is going to sound, my coworker and I have gone and gotten pedicures with each other a lot. And I frequently have to tell her as we're walking out, cause she's like, I don't know why it was so expensive. Go back in there and ask what you paid for. And like, constantly I have to tell her, stand your ground, ask what you're paying for it. Then nobody's going to get hurt for printing out an itemized receipt for you. What are, what am I paying for? And if they do, then you're not paying for
2: what you're getting. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's totally okay to say, I'm spending my money on this thing that I want and I want, you know, like I want to know what, what this is about. So yeah, I don't know. What? The courage, the courage to be vulnerable with people you trust. Mm-hmm. I think that that's an, number one tool because a lot of people, I think, especially I'm assuming, especially white people are just like, I don't want to be, I wouldn't want to be the bad guy. You know, I don't want anyone to think I'm racist. And it's like, well, you know, everybody's biased. I have biases. I've, you know, tried to work on myself. There's things I've said in the past. One of the things I, you know, if I see somebody like I, there was a woman in one of my groups where I was just like, oh, you know, this woman, she looks Asian. And she sounds like English is not her first language. And I want to ask her where she's from. But that could make her feel other. And I don't want to make her feel that way. So even though for me, my selfish curiosity, and not because I'm trying to say anything mean to her, I would like to ask her. Considering how my expression of my thoughts might make her feel, I'm going to get to know her better. And if I get to know her better over time, I will learn where she is from. But I don't have to make her feel like an outsider because I want to immediately satisfy my curiosity. Right. So like that's something that I changed in myself because I get asked, like, well, where are you from? And I'm like, I was born in Jersey. And I know that's not what they're asking me. <laughs> I'm like, well, where's your family from? And I'm like, my mom grew up in the Bronx and my dad's from Orange County. And they're still not happy. You know, I'm like, we can do this as long as you want. I'm 59% Irish. What else would you like to ask me? You know, it's like, (laughs) (laughs) so yeah, like thinking about the things that other people do to you that you don't like, I think everybody has that. And then thinking about, like, well, do I ever do that? (laughs) Like, is there a way that I do that that's maybe a little different that I could change?
0: I think there's a difference with um, being a Karen and being polite about. How to deal with these situations. Yeah, there's a spectrum. And, and that's, yeah. And, and a lot of it has to do with tone and with how you come about it. And I love your way of saying, well, get to know the person before you ask these questions. That way they know you're not coming from a place of insensitivity.
2: Right. Because I mean, mm-hmm. people like that, that's the first defense. Like, well, I didn't mean anything by it. I'm like, I know you were curious and you wanted to know. And you think because you weren't choosing consciously to be racist there's nothing wrong with what you did but that's what institutional racism is that's just the status quo that's saying well well I didn't decide to be racist I just I own a house and it's amazing that I own a house and it's sad that someone else doesn't own a house I'm like well you you own a house because of generational wealth and that's something that you and your parents and your grandparents benefited from and those policies were janky AF so you didn't choose to I mean, I know we're not supposed to, to discuss Frozen 2, but it's totally valid. It is reparations for white people, y'all. That is what that movie is. It's like, oh, so you didn't choose to be a terrible person, but your ancestors did some jacked up stuff. Like your grandfather was a jerk and your community has benefited from the fact that your grandfather was a jerk.
0: And, and another community
2: didn't. Yeah. I'm like, I, I was watching that movie with my best friend and her kids. And I was like, oh my God, this movie is amazing. It's reparations, y'all. Like it's Disney reparations with white people. Oh, this movie is amazing. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, yeah, that's if we need if we need a Disney princess to describe institutional power to people, I'm cool with it, especially if we get an adorable salamander. But like, that's what that movie <laughs> is. It's like just because you didn't choose to be terrible doesn't mean you didn't benefit from that and you owe these this community even though it wasn't your choice like you're still hurting them even though you didn't choose to hurt them that's like
0: saying, oh, well, my family wasn't involved in racism and racism was so far gone. It doesn't matter. There's still institutions that were built up by the people that to continually maintain a status quo. And you benefited from those. And you have to, at the very minimum, recognize that.
2: Well, and can we talk about generational trauma? Because the destruction mm-hmm. of the family is the easiest way to do it. And unfortunately, so many communities have experienced that. You know, when we remove parents from their home, when we remove children from their parents. I mean, I, I love my family, but I am against adoption. I'll just say it straight up. I think it's wrong to tell a woman that she's too poor for her baby, that she's not educated enough for her baby, that she's not good enough for her baby. I think that a just society would look at a mother and say, what can we do to support this mother? to make sure that this mother and child have what they need because that primal wound, removing a child from their biological mother, like there are attachment disorders and those follow you for the rest of your life. Like there are people who are adopted who struggle to ever have healthy relationships because one of the biggest decisions of your life was made for you. And I'll, I definitely realized just recently, I'm like, oh, well, I didn't get to choose who my family was going to be. So if I don't get to choose who my parents are, Maybe the people that I love are the ones who get to make my decisions and that my, my opinion doesn't matter. And I didn't consciously think that, but I lived that way. You know, I was in some really unhealthy relationships because that was just my default. Like I I don't get to choose the people I love get to choose. So yeah, there's a lot, there's a lot, (laughs) but it's like, they've proven it's literally in our genes, generational trauma is passed down and down and down. So even though you say the people who are alive right now, were never slaves their ancestors were, and it's in their bodies. And um, like I said, the destruction of the family is something that's so difficult to repair. So many Native communities have experienced that. I mean, if you're driving around the valley and you turn on to Indian school, I went most of my life not thinking about what that street meant or what that was. And I'm like, oh, oh my God. Mm -hmm. And the Heard Museum had um, an exhibit a few years ago about the things that happened in this state within my parents' lifetime. And just literally destroying those bonds, punishing children for speaking their native language, not letting siblings have a relationship with each other. It's just, it's gross, and it's horrific, and it does damage, and pretending that it doesn't is really unjust.
0: Well, this conversation obviously cannot be completed in a 30-minute segment, and... Um, I would love to continue this on for hours and hours but we do need to end here Um, I hope to continue this conversation not just with you Royce but with of course anyone else who is willing Um, I'm just going to throw that out there I am looking for somebody who practices hoodoo or voodoo to come on this show if you know somebody or if you are that somebody please reach out to me message me I want to have uh, more conversations about not just black magic but Um, Black people in the pagan community I cannot have these conversations Alone period you know why You can see it right here in the face Um, And in the red If you're
1: watching us on YouTube
0: (laughs) Yeah if you're watching us on YouTube you can tell why Um, And I refuse to speak For people um, Even if I accidentally do so Thank you so much for coming on and Starting this conversation with us We hope you'll continue it Um, You guys have a beautiful Amazing day I love you
2: I love
0: you. Thank you. <laughs> My pleasure. Anyway, um, so, merry meet.
1: Merry part. And, and merry meet, meet again. again.